Chapter 5, Not in Kansas Anymore. Most everyone has seen The Wizard of Oz and are familiar with the bizarre world Dorothy found herself, which is Oz. Also, growing up in the Midwest, my life experiences are almost as strange as Oz was to Dorothy. In fact, if I were listening to someone else tell my story, life story, I'm fairly sure I wouldn't believe it. But having experienced it personally, what choice do I have but accept my own experiences? One thing's for sure, they cannot be denied, denied and shape my life forever. Maybe it's a little presumptuous or pretentious to expect anyone to believe my story, but maybe if I start at the beginning. That in mind, my entire life has been couched in, the great, in a great interest of the Bible and spirit world. In fact, one of my vivid memories was asking my father questions about heaven and hell. The crazy thing is, I was only between three and four years old at the time. It seems I was insatiable for spiritual and biblical understanding. I just couldn't get enough. In fact, my favorite books when I was young were the Bible stories. Someone in our church denomination rewrote the Old Testament in children's language, which for me was perfect. I reread them until I had them all but memorized. Also, in those Bible story books were many miracles, which I also fully believed. Interestingly, I had those beliefs in miracles confirmed by the regular stream I personally saw and experienced. Due to that, the supernatural world was just as real to me as the physical. Some of the earliest examples of miraculous events were four instantaneous supernatural healings. There was a fifth, but it took all day for an inflamed lymph node under my arm the size of a baseball to soften and shrink back to the, the pea size it was supposed to be. Also working with my dad on the farm, there were many times when things were not working and he would stop and pray. Shockingly, what wasn't working in most cases suddenly began to work. Those were life-changing events which never left me. In fact, after leaving home, many of those same type miraculous answered prayers continued. Why my prayers would be miraculously answered when it seemed to rarely happen for most of my friends and or family, except my father, remains a mystery. Maybe I was just so hard-headed and doubting and needed all those miracles to build faith. Some people just seem to naturally have great faith, even though it's rarely or ever confirmed. Unfortunately, I come from the show-me state of mind, which may be the explanation. It wasn't just the provisional miracles that were the norm, but the saving miracles. When I was about 40, I wrote down all the times I remembered being miraculously saved from death and or maiming. I, I don't mean events that could easily be considered circumstantial, but obvious supernatural ones. I remembered over 30, many of which are simply beyond belief and wouldn't believe, be believed if told. But I'll cite a few anyway. One of the earliest was around 11. One of my chores was to milk the cows. Unfortunately, it was the dead of winter and with my parents not home, I naturally procrastinated. Suddenly, realizing how late it was, about 8 to 9 p.m., and how much trouble I was going to be in, in if the cows, only one or two at the time, had not been milked when my father got home. So I grabbed a light jacket and ran to the barn. Unfortunately, the barn was a falling-down old wreck with no doors or windows, and the temperature was in the neighborhood of 20 below zero that night. I thought if I milked fast enough, it would be okay. But halfway through the milking, I was shivering and shaking so badly, I had to stop. Being the smart 11-year-old I was, not, 
I went over to the corner and curled up to get warm. After a short while, I suddenly felt as if I had just been immersed in a warm bath. What I didn't realize was that euphoric feeling of warmth was the onset of the second stage of hypothermia. That euphoric feeling was my body abandoning the battle to restore its core temperature and submitting to death. But just then a female voice began loudly instructing me, yelling actually, to get up or I was going to die. I remember arguing with the voice because I felt so warm and good, but finally obeyed and finished the milking. Anyone understanding hypothermia knows there's no way I could have gotten up and gone back to milking in the condition I was in. Second stage hypothermia is where the body temperature has gotten so low it would have been a hospital experience to slowly and painfully thaw out to get the body temperature back up to normal. But when I obeyed the voice, I was instantly back to normal with no side effects. But that wasn't the only time a woman's voice saved me. The second time was in my early 20s. Again, it was midwinter and I needed to tune up my car. Since I didn't have a garage and it was far too cold to work outside, I asked my boss to use his small single car garage or shop to do the work. I had heard of the dangers of carbon monoxide, but I reasoned if I only started the car a couple times for a minute or so to make adjustments, it would be fine. <clears throat> but after the final adjustment under the hood, I suddenly felt as if I was floating and had the overwhelming urge to lie on the floor and sleep. I laid down on the concrete floor with the car still running. Just as I heard that same female voice which saved me over a decade before telling me to get out or I would die. Again, I argued with the voice which only got louder and more insistent until I finally obeyed and crawled, because I couldn't stand, outside into the snow. When my head cleared, I had the most massive headache of my life making me realize I had been incapacitated by carbon monoxide and once again miraculously was saved from death. I didn't know who the female voice was until my mid-fifties when I learned about our priesthood in heaven, more on that later, whose job was to teach and guide us, that is modern Israel, via the spirit. Because of these experiences, the spirit world uh, or dimension has become more real than this physical one. Hearing the voice has saved me a few times, those two times were not the only ones. It finally dawned on me the voice must belong to a first century priestess in what people call heaven, who had apparently been assigned to me to teach and take care of me. Upon realizing the priesthood was in heaven and doing what they had been trained to do, i.e. teach and take care of Yahweh's people, I prayed and asked the Creator if it would be okay if my priestess showed herself to me. To my amazement, three nights later, she showed herself in a vision. She was little, less than five feet, and was dressed in the strangest clothes I had ever seen, wearing a thick robe of expensive-looking fabric with a hat to match. Her hat was of the same fabric as her robe and looked very much like a Russian-style hat, about four inches high on, on the sides and flat on top. But most noticeable of all, she appeared to be very old and yet young at the same time. Also striking was the fact she had the largest roundest eyes I believe I've ever seen. She didn't say anything but just stood there in front of me with a warm beautiful smile and then was gone. Unfortunately she never told me her name but someday I will know and thank her. Before moving on I'd like to relate one more miraculous life-saving event. I was at a stoplight waiting to make a left-hand turn. There were two, two turn lanes with me on the, in the inside lane. 
When the light turned green, the man in the outside left turn apparently didn't realize it was a double turn lane and swung wide into the outside driving lane, literally pushing me up on the curb. As I was watching him pushing me up on the sidewalk, a 70s or 80s model Cadillac ran the light doing at least 60 to 70 miles an hour. But instead of rear-ending us, he dematerialized and went right through us as if he, as if we or he were only clouds. Because I was watching the car on my left about to push me up on the curb, I saw the driver of the one running the light with his arms over his face. He knew he was going to crash, but it failed to happen as I watched the rear end of his car speeding away in front of us. I wanted to chase him and get his story, but I was shaking so badly I could barely drive. I would have loved to have heard it, though. I'm sure you, like me at the time, were having trouble believing the dematerializing car event was real and not just some kind of hallucination. I didn't know what to believe myself and told no one for many years until one day I was drinking beer with my brother-in-law and didn't care what he thought about my telling him. Well, imagine how shocked I was to have him tell me the same thing happened to him. He then related a story of uh, being in a truck with his father and brother when they came to an intersection and were unable to stop due to ice. They slid into the road directly in front of another truck, but instead of crashing, it went through them just as that Cadillac sped through me. I was so excited by my brother-in-law's admission, I told my wife, that is his sister, the story. To my shock, she also admitted it had happened to her. Again, my jaw fell to the floor as I asked her how and where. She then related the story of taking our girls to the lake swimming. Upon leaving, she pulled out onto the highway right in front of a large vehicle she didn't see. But again... She said it went right through them just as it happened with me and her brother. Well, just how much evidence do we need? The real world is not this physical one, but the spirit world. But then it's our destiny to eventually be spirit children of the creators in their spirit realm. Those are only a small sampling of supernatural events I remember and can relate. As mentioned before, I recall over 30 supernatural events life-saving events, like the ones I just read, enough to paint quite a picture of my spiritually connected life. Obviously, someone on the dark side was trying to kill me while someone on the good side was continually saving me. That in mind, after turning 40, it seems my life had come to the, its lowest point and, and was about to take a major unforeseen turn, which I didn't understand. That change began with, the, with a shocking vision, which I don't remember ever having before. It was a new experience at the time, but has become somewhat the norm since. Hundreds. At any rate, this vision really had me scratching my head as to its meaning. To set the stage, it's imperative to understand my favorite place was in church. I just couldn't get enough biblical and spiritual understanding. That need literally defined my reason for existing and I would never have abandoned my church and faith for anything. At the time, I was a, a little frustrated my church was not growing in biblical or spiritual understanding as the scriptures commanded, and as I expected and wanted. But that frustration would never have been enough to get me to leave. And honestly, I had nowhere else to go. So instead of leaving, I thought I could implement change by pointing out the discrepancies between the scriptural teachings of the church Oh, of the Bible and the church interpretations. 
In fact, their interpretations of the scriptures in many cases made them say something very different than was what was actually said. But then that's unfortunately the norm in all the supposed Bible-based churches. Because of my love for church and being very involved, I was one of the speakers. I was music leader as well as in charge of the sound system and the library. In spite of the frustration with church teachings or not, I was willing to do whatever was needed just to stay. Besides, the church people were my spiritual family. Unfortunately, they felt closer and more important than my own physical family. But again, I had nowhere to go considering all other churches that I knew of were even worse than my church. I was between the proverbial rock and hard place. Getting to the vision then, I found myself standing in a huge courtyard surrounded by white stucco, i.e. concrete walls at least 15 feet high, extending into the horizon as far as the eye could see. The white stucco walls were quite beautiful, but that beauty was overshadowed by the sad wail of unhappy people asking, who will let us out? And who will ever get us, get, how will we ever get out? Just then I looked forward to see a set of huge steel doors some 16 feet wide, looking to be some 12 inches thick, where I suddenly realized I was standing in a prison courtyard. Just then I heard a female voice behind me saying, Heather has the key. I responded, what do you mean? What key? Just then I looked back at the massive steel doors to see they were now covered with what looked, like, looked to be Bible scriptures from Revelation 2 and 3, which are the letters to the churches. Interestingly, the scriptures on the massive steel doors were written half in English and half in Spanish the top half English and the bottom half Spanish. But before I had a chance to read the scriptures, the huge doors began to open. At the same time, I heard the jubilant voices laughing and cheering and crying for joy at being released from this prison. I had no idea what the vision meant, but to add a layer of mystique to it, I actually knew a young woman named Heather. In fact, she was my piano player in church. Every Sabbath, we would have to discuss the songs we were going to be singing for her to play. Naturally, I put two and two together and reasoned that she must be the Heather who had the key to that prison I didn't understand. Of course, I couldn't stop thinking this vision was very, very important and real, and talking to Heather uh, really was the key to understanding it. <clears throat> but she was young and idealistic and apparently not open to such things as visions and real dreams. I tried to gently ease her in discussions along that line, but without success. Instead, she began to get suspicious as to my motives and went to our minister and told him she didn't want me talking to her, which he then ordered me not to. She never did tell me she didn't want me talking to her about such things. Had she done so, I would have respected her wishes. Of course, I don't know how us not talking was supposed to work, considering we had to discuss the songs for the church song service. Knowing the scriptures fairly well, as I was one of the speakers, I knew the Messiah instructed his disciples if they were offended or offended someone, they were to first go to that person privately to work it out, if possible. It made no sense why our minister didn't instruct her according to the Messiah's clear instructions, but I knew I needed to obey and at least apologize for offending her, which I certainly had not intended. I figured the next best thing to confronting her privately in person would be to send her an email apology and put the whole thing behind us. 
Well, only a few minutes after sending the short one-paragraph apology, I got an email from my minister telling me I was no longer welcome in his flock. Naturally, I was extremely upset with being excommunicated from the church I loved so much. When I finally got past the initial pain of that experience, somewhat, and after almost dying of pneumonia in the meantime, I managed to find or was led to a home Bible study. After all, I didn't know of a church any better than the one I was in, so having the living room Bible study seemed to be the perfect solution. It also seems I was the one with the most understanding of the Bible and knew how to give sermons and Bible studies, so the responsibility naturally fell into my lap. It was my finally being able to read and accept the Bible for what it actually said, that is, minus translation errors, that I finally understood what the vision was all about. Being able to see and understand the real truth of the scriptures was like literally stepping into a whole new world of freedom. After all, it's written, the truth will make you free. That's John 8.32. And I was discovering the Bible when accepted for what it actually says is the most shockingly unbelievable book in the world that virtually no one understands. It was then I finally understood the prison vision well, at least part of it. Unfortunately, the churches, i.e. corporate religion, require their parishioners to accept their particular private interpretation of the Bible to be welcome. Of course, every church and denomination has their own particular set of interpretations, including translators, which is why there are literally thousands of Christian denominations. If everyone would accept the scriptures as they are, that is, minus translation errors, there would only be one church, i.e. ecclesia, or congregation of believers. In other words, the corporate churches literally are spiritual prisons, which are all about dividing and deceiving Yahweh's modern Israelite people. As it turned out, it really was Heather who had the key to my being released from that prison. Again, I never would have left on my own for any reason, but her unwillingness to talk to me about the prison vision got me excommunicated huh, from prison. <laughs> Unfortunately, as with most corporate churches, the only way out of that prison is or was to be forced out uh, as, is, as leaving voluntarily meant going to hell or to the lake of fire. How ironic to be forced to leave a prison I didn't even know I was in. Interestingly, what felt like the worst thing to ever happen to me turned out to be the best. But as mentioned earlier, Heather getting me out, put out of the, my spiritual prison is only half of the vision. The other half is all the other people getting out. Who has their key? With that thought, is their key connected to my key? After all, getting out was literally entering a whole new world that I had put to pen, i.e. word processor, and have been sharing with anyone interested. Remember, the key to the massive steel doors has a Spanish as well as an English element. Maybe I am part of the English half, but who is the Spanish half? Again, the writing on the doors at a glance appeared to be the letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor. That seems to be a strong clue the prison is the churches, obviously including the English and Spanish. Considering the pagan religions are not divided into churches, this vision does not seem to include them. Besides, Incorporating the biblical timeline, judgment comes to modern Israel first. Modern Israelite nations were primarily Christian nations. How interesting the letters to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3 were admon admonishments 
on issues they needed to change to be saved, that is, released from their prison of death. It was their sin and bad behavior keeping them in that prison. The truth delivered to them would set them free from that death. With the knowledge of truth that is setting or making us free, the next chapter will get into some of that truth, both ancient and current, and good and evil.